Welcome to the Surge Strength Podcast, powered by Ritter Sports Performance. This podcast is dedicated to helping swim coaches and swimmers learn how to properly implement dry land and strength training programs that result in moving better, reducing injuries, and swimming faster. Let's join your host, Chris Ritter. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Surge Strength Podcast. Hope you're doing well. I wanted to point out to you, in case you feel overwhelmed sometimes, of writing dryland workouts. It just always keeps coming, right? The next training session. And if you get behind, it can feel overwhelming of how do you get ahead. And especially if you just feel it's really hard to just write a single dryland workout and you don't have a system that you can lay it out. I want you to know for free, you can register in the Surge Strength Academy and check out our dryland uh, course, one of the dryland courses that we have, the 101s, Writing Workouts 101. It's going to take you step by step through the process that we suggest is the best way, easiest way, most effective way to write dryland workouts. You don't need to make it overcomplicated. Don't worry if you don't have a background in exercise science or kinesiology. And it's just a really great resource. And a lot of people have been picking up on it in just the past uh, few weeks, even especially. And there's also a lot of other 101 courses to check out. Dryland at home, if you're still in lockdown, if you don't have access to gym. So a lot of great Dryland 101 courses in the Surge Strength Academy. So be sure that you check that out. And on today's episode, we're going to take a lesson from the Academy that's part of the Surge Strength Dryland Certification, and that's on individualizing every workout. And how do you do that, especially in a group setting where you may have a lot of athletes varying degrees of ability, you can still have everyone moving in the same direction to the same beat, but have different exercises scaled based on their abilities and still be able to function as a group workout setting, which I'm sure a lot of you are running your drylands in. And then lastly, in the dryland talk segment, we're going to talk to Jason Durking, and he's the director of Olympic sports performance at the University of Louisville, doing some great stuff there with the swimmers and has been for many years. So great conversation with Jason. So let's dive into the rest of the episode. Inside the Surge Strength Academy. Individualizing every workout is what I'm going to be covering in this lesson. Now, it can seem daunting, especially for a large group of athletes. How do you actually individualize every workout but have everyone moving in the same direction? For 40 athletes, sometimes that could be really hard, or even maybe if you have more sometimes. I think, though, it can actually be really easy if you think about these three things about how to individualize each workout. So number one, the levels of exercise that you're prescribing for athletes. Number two, the function exercises that you give each athlete. And then lastly, the coaching that you give each athlete. So I'll break each of these down a little bit more. So with the levels, let's say for the brace, you have the body saw plus TRX in one of the circuits. But you may have an athlete that really struggles with that. They're, they're not very good. So you could do a stir the pot or an alternating bridge. That's a level one exercise. So that way you're meeting the athlete where they're at. Or maybe you have another athlete where body saw, it's not really challenging anymore to them on the TRX. So maybe you need to do a rollout with a wheel or maybe even a Turkish getup. 
So as a coach, you can write a general workout. Maybe you need to write down the middle and mostly level twos, or maybe even you have a group that's largely beginners and level ones. So write down workouts from that level, but then you can progress or regress exercises based on what individual athlete needs. And that way you could still feel confident because if you've set the structure of, you know, making sure, let's say it's a five exercise circuit, one for each movement category, then you don't have to worry about, okay, well, should I put it here, here? You've set all that up. All you need to do is make the exercise harder, easier based on the athlete. So progress it or regress it based on where they're at. So that's a real easy way to individualize it, number one. Number two is with the assessments that you do with each athlete, and we'll go over those in the coming modules in the second half of the Surge Strength Drown Certification, but giving them specific function exercises so that each athlete is addressing their specific need or weakness or things that they need to improve on. And so having them be able to do that for the warm-up or maybe it's the cool-down for each dryland session, kind of depending on how you structure it, that can be an easy way to individualize it. It also can give them ownership because almost every function exercise the athlete can do at home with no equipment needed most of the time. So that way you can put the ownership on them of, hey, you can need to do this not just at practice, but at home so you can get better. And so this is no longer something that's holding you back, but developing it into a strength. And then lastly, as simple as just making sure you're coaching each athlete and talking to them on an individual level, making sure you're connecting with each athlete. So with 40 athletes in 60 minutes, that can be really challenging sometimes, but that's why I'd rather you keep the programming simple. No, okay, I just need to slide a couple exercises one way or the other. So if you write an exercise or a workout out, know which exercise you're going to go to to make it easier or harder, and then you just have the exercise in your head, and then you can focus on actually coaching and connecting with each athlete. But don't underestimate how much that connection can really help in buy-in or just the engagement that the athlete has and therefore the success that they have in that session. So don't get stuck in the programming where you're just in the books all day writing and then by the time you're out there, you've forgotten about how to coach. I always felt that some of the workouts that I prepared the least for, I automatically felt like, okay, I really need to coach and engage this because I wasn't necessarily as prepared as I wanted to be. But then sometimes if I prepared way too much, if I spent hours writing a 30-minute, 45-minute workout, I often felt that I sat back and I just let it coast a little bit too much. So find that sweet spot where you're preparing enough, you have a good session, you have a good season plan, but then you're also coaching and engaging in the session, connecting with the athletes. So that does it for how you can individualize any dryland session, no matter what group size you're working with. Ryland Talk. Today we have Jason Deerking from the University of Louisville on. Jason's going to tell us how we can use dryland or resistance training sessions to help establish that competitive mindset. Jason has been at the University of Louisville since 2005 working with the swim teams. Before that, he was at Indiana University and also worked at the U.S. Olympic Training Center in Lake Placid. Jason regularly competes in triathlon and has a wealth of knowledge to expand on this topic. First of all, I wanted to say thank you for hopping on the summit with us. And to start out, I just wanted you to give our audience a little background on you know how you got into strength conditioning and then how you ended up working with the swim team at Louisville. Yeah, um, well, 
I was a baseball player in undergrad at uh, Eastern Kentucky and um, tore my ACL twice. Uh, ended up having two knee surgeries there, which kind of derailed my uh, my major league baseball ambitions. And uh, um, but it actually, I, I kind of figured out probably early on in my undergrad career, sophomore, junior year, that you know I was really interested in anatomy and physiology and sports performance and. Um, you know, so um, ended up uh, going on to grad school at Indiana and was very fortunate to get connected with, uh, with a graduate assistant position there and uh, got exposure to a lot of the sports and swimming was one of the main ones that I was very involved with. And uh, as I graduated with my master's degree, I was hired full time uh, as a full time assistant at Indiana and swimming was one of the teams that I was responsible for. And uh, so I worked there for four years uh, full time and got a lot of experience with the sport and uh, really enjoyed it. And Indiana is a good tradition. And uh, a lot of my graduate work and some of the stuff in the lab was kind of based around endurance performance and respiratory pulmonary work. And a lot of it was swimming based. And um, so I had the opportunity to uh, interview for a position here at Louisville in 2005. And. Coach Albiero was my first meeting um, as a uh, as a prospective uh, candidate for this position, and we hit it off right away. Since I had about six years of experience with swimming, which was very beneficial uh, from his standpoint, and uh, and I came here with the idea of being here a couple years, and uh, here it is, eleven <laughs> years later, uh, still uh, still going and loving every minute of it, and very fortunate we've had a a good progression uh, in the last 10 years or so with the swimming programs. So Definitely. Join it. Yeah, that's awesome. And diving into it a little bit, you know, swimming is a, a different sport in, in terms of the background that a lot of swimmers come to college, you know, with the understanding of dry land, as they call it, or resistance training. And one thing that I think is undervalued is using that weight room experience or that dry land experience to develop competitive mindsets amongst athletes or even give them another exposure to competition. So right off the bat, why do you think that the weight room or those dry land training sessions can assist an athlete in that mindset development? Yeah, well, first of all, I think there's just so many opportunities to create competitive situations um, through our dry land workouts and in the weight room. And I find that, you know, for us, a lot of our athletes really enjoy training outside of the pool anytime yeah. that they can get um time away from the water they get plenty yeah. of time in the water <laughs> and so you know they enjoy and i really want to create an atmosphere where they come in and they enjoy being in there because they see the value of it and the correlation to their performance i think that's kind of the the starting point um in terms of just creating an atmosphere where they um they want to be in there. That's, yeah. that's the starting point. They're comfortable, but that really starts kind of with education and just being able to draw the correlations between what we're trying to accomplish in the weight room and how it is designed in some form or fashion to impact their performance in the water. So number one, they have to value the, the work that we're doing outside of the water. Um, secondly, uh, we're very goal driven. Um, you know, I think that the, kind of the cornerstone of developing desire and and if you want to call mental toughness, uh, willpower, those kinds of things, I think it all kind of comes back to their purpose. And so we have to create a really strong why behind what we're doing. And that 
for me is, you know, educating them on what the objectives are. Um, and if they have a good uh, purpose to being in there and they know the clear direction of, of where we're trying to go, then I think the competitiveness uh, somewhat takes care of itself. Um, you know, so, and a lot of times I think the other aspect of it is sometimes the best, um, the, be- or, or, uh, the best swimmers are not always the best on dry land. Yeah, and, for sure. <laughs> and, and, and the better dry land athletes are not always the best swimmers. So, you know, th- there's, you know, a lot of opportunity to have success outside of the water and see progress, uh, physical development. Um, you know, so that's really important for a lot of them. And then, you know, we, um, we try to be as objective as we can. We try to provide meaningful feedback. And so they see their progress. Um, and we are very fortunate. We have the ability to track, uh, bar velocity, power outputs. Um, you know, so, so those instant feedback kind of mechanisms within a set or from week to week, uh, kind of ingrains kind of a, a, a competitive nature because they want to see the improvement. Yeah. Um, so we can provide those opportunities. Um, then I think that, um, ideally I'm not the one trying to, uh, create the, uh, the desire or the competitive atmosphere, uh, the competitive attitude. I, I'm just trying to draw it out of them. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I think you hit on something there because swimming is one of those sports where you can go a long time without seeing a time drop, you know, based off of just different factors that are going on. And the and dry land or your resistance training sessions are definitely an area where you can get that relief and see some improvement. So it's just not, you know, you're banging your head against the wall in the water and seem like you're not getting anywhere. It kind of holds you over almost until you start to see that improvement in the water. Right. And I think a lot of a lot of kids that maybe, you know, have a hard time, you know, comparing themselves to people that are faster than yeah. them. Um you know, and then they can have that success outside of the water and they can show that they're better in the squat rack, they're better uh, vertical jump and you know, whatever than some of the better swimmers, then that's a point of pride for them and um, they take ownership of that. And that helps, I think, drive the rest of the team too because they see the ones maybe that aren't the fastest swimmers that are working the hardest outside right. of the pool and 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 that helps draw out the um, the – the work ethic a little bit, maybe the desire from some of the other ones that may be a little bit more naturally talented in the water. Right. And then I know you said you're, you're kind of, you know, just managing that competitive desire, bringing it out, not really, you know, having to set up scenarios, but what are some strategies that you use to, you know, draw out that competition environment when you're in a team environment? And then also how does that differ? Say if you have a, a one-on-one, you know, an athlete's coming in at different hours and not training with the team, but you want to stimulate them to be a little bit more competitive with themselves. How do your strategies differ or are they similar for those two scenarios? Yeah, I should, I should probably clarify that because, um, you know, I think that's one of the, one of the topics that we talk a lot about is, you know, how do you create desire? How do you create mental toughness? How do you create willpower, the desire to improve? Those are things that I think are very difficult for us to do. So from a standpoint of creating the desire, I, I don't know if we can really do that. We, for what I can do, my role in that is try to keep them very goal oriented, right. focused in, in the direction that they're going and want to go and, and hopefully impress upon them the importance of what September, the work that we do in September and October and how that's going to translate to March or April, even though it's months away. Right. So I do have a, 
you know, I do have a role in that standpoint. Um, but with workouts and the workout structure, especially with a lot of our early season uh, dryland training outside of the weight room as a team, I place a ton of emphasis on creating situations and workout structures that demand a competitive environment. Okay. Uh, and, and so, um, yeah, and a lot of that is not as much from a physical development standpoint as it is from developing the team culture. Right. So with us, uh, we have two uh, days a week at 6 a.m. In the, in the morning where the entire team is present. And a lot of those workouts uh, are dryland based, obviously, but they're small team structured, uh, team based competitive uh, workouts, whether it's relays, whether it's more elaborate than that. Right. A week for the first five weeks, we go down to the football stadium. We have the entire stadium to ourselves, and the lights are on. And um, and sometimes the workout incorporates every part of the football stadium. Um, but we call out captains. We have them choose teams. They have to be strategic with that. If yeah. you're the last one picked, well, then you have something to prove. Right. <laughs> and, and try to try to create um, structure where every team member is valuable. And so the 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 different uh, exercises or challenges within that workout demand different uh, things. And so it's not always the most physically talented, gifted teams that uh, are the successful ones. Right. The ones that have good leadership, communicate well, um, can you know understand instruction and then execute under pressure in a time frame. Um, so I'm certainly trying to develop um, and create those situations where uh, where it's competitive, it's on the clock, and you have to work together well as a team. Yeah. And, um, and those are those are uh, workouts, and and the the benefit of them maybe is not as easy to see the tangible results of that uh, physically as it is. You you can't really quantify right. the results and the benefit of how is that team culture improving because of that. But when you when you see it, you know it. Right. And, and ideally, you know, we're um, we're putting them into situations and competitive environments that, um, you know, if they're not the most naturally competitive person, uh, their teammates are drawing that out of them. Right. Well, it's nice to see you when that carries over to them, their swim workouts. You know, they have that team atmosphere, you know, to pick each other up or, you know, push each other, or, you know, even what, even if it's calling someone out to go faster, you know, and digging a little bit deeper establishing that early is always, you know, nice to see it just kind of go over into the swim side. For sure. Uh, we have these, uh, we have these workouts. Um, and a lot of them, we start with what I like to call the price of admission. Uh, and yeah. it's something as simple as, um, team four count jumping jacks. Okay. We have a, we have a, a clock that's running and you have to successfully complete perfectly synchronized four count jumping jacks without messing up the count. I like that. Without one person getting out of step, even a little bit. Um, and it's a very simple, you have to do 10 perfect reps with a, with the leader counting out one, two, three, and the rest of the team yelling out the rep. And it's amazing to see how disorganized it can be. Right. <laughs> and, and there's so, it's such a simple task, but if, and physically not hard to complete 20 right. jacks or 10 or whatever it is, but if you're not completely focused in and you don't have a very clear leader 
and everybody is not working together, it's going to be a mess. Oh, yeah. So something as simple as that has been so effective in just starting the mindset of a workout off. Um, and, what, and what carryover do you think even that simple drill has to bringing some focus to a race scenario or practice? Do you see any, you know, athletes implementing similar, maybe not, you know, together, but something in their own, you know, capacity before a race or a practice to just kind of zone in and focus after all their chaos of their day? Yeah. Uh, well, we've, we've created kind of a, a specific pre-meet um, warm-up dry land on the pool deck so okay. um and it always finishes with 10 jumping jacks and, awesome. and, yeah. and it's something that they kind of <laughs> use that as kind of a carryover and right. just something right at the end to yell and get on the same page and kind of say okay now we're ready to go i think it's you know it's it, it they've used it because of the um because of the dry land work and and that aspect of using it during those workouts but it's kind of that that specific exercise is just kind of turned into a trigger yes. of like, now it's time to go. <laughs> and, and we do it. And all of a sudden now we all come together, we're unified right at the end and now it's go time. And so it's been kind of a cool thing, but the, um, but, but kind of my main message with, with that exercise is that, um, a couple things, every detail matters, right? Uh, something as simple as a jumping jack, is extremely important to the success of the rest of the workout. Yeah. And, and so then that's one thing is, is that you, you may think, think something is simple and mundane and not really too important, but if you're not completely tuned in and everybody's not on the same page, it's not going to work and right. it's not successful. And so from that standpoint, understanding that, that every little detail matters. And then secondly, I, I really like the emphasis of, Hey, if we got 30 guys on a team or 30 girls on the team, if one person is not doing their job, the whole thing falls apart as right. well. So whether you're scoring points at ACCs or NCAs, um, you have a role to play. And that role is, ex is just as important as the person who's scoring uh, all the points. Right. Um, it's just in a different capacity, but your value to the team is the same. Right. So from that standpoint, I think it's been a really good message too. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny you say that because one thing, you know, I'm working a little bit at the club level right now with high schoolers and, and age groupers and, and trying to stress the importance of actually taking a warm up seriously is something that is a constant battle. So I like how you have, I love the word, you know, trigger, you know, you have that simple exercise that just, you know, now there's all this association with it that it just takes care. And, you know, people, even when people with anxiety, you know, toward racing, all of a sudden they're focusing on these perfect jumping jacks. The anxiety goes away and it adds that whole extra layer of benefit. Right. And, and, you know, when you know that, Hey, this, uh, the, the, the team is counting on you. Right. And it's on the line and there is a clock. We have a clock that's running, you know, so you have to, you have to execute all of these reps in a certain amount of time. And if you screw up the last one, you've got to start over. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's something simple, but it does kind it of get a mindset though, handling pressure, you know, right and executing the little details. Yeah, no, I love that. I think that's awesome. And then transitioning a little bit, you know, swimmers come from a background where a lot of them do not experience any sort of loaded movement. It's not a very high load environment. It's getting better, but it's still a little bit behind, say, like basketball or football. Yeah. Um, 
And there's a big fear from swimmers of going too intense with weight or, you know, they're getting too big, too bulky, things like that. Or, you know, the training session is taking away from their swimming. Um, so how do you coax athletes into that understanding of the importance of those dry land sessions and what is, you know, it's a key part of their goal moving forward. Yeah, for me, I think it, it really has, uh, started with the support, uh, from the coaching staff, Yeah, uh, from Arthur on down, uh, their, their message to the team and the importance that they place on it and the trust that they put on me, the athletes see that. And yeah. I think inherently that goes so much farther to increasing athlete buy-in because they know that I'm going to be preaching the importance of it. Right. But when they see the swimming coaches saying how important it is, uh, it adds so much more than, than my words alone. Um, we are, we're also kind of in a unique situation. We have, three of our current coaches, assistant coaches that were former swimmers at U of L. Oh, awesome. Who, who all were athletes when I was here. So yeah. I was their, their strength coach as well. So that personal um, aspect of them having come through the program and then them being able to relate that to the current athletes on a personal level and the value uh, of what I've am able to provide um, is huge as yeah. well. Can't understate that. But then, from my standpoint, again, I go back to it all starts with education and yeah. understanding, you know, the whys and making sure that I'm teaching uh, the 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 reasoning and the and also kind of what the short and long term goals are of everything. Um, and I've I've tried to kind of go away from uh, the mindset of just uh, categorizing work, um, workouts based on kind of traditional strength, um, understanding of right. exercise selection, but really kind of categorizing exercises based on what component of a, of a race or a stroke yeah. most applicable to, not that we're trying to mimic anything, right? but if you see that, okay, uh, hip dominant, uh, single leg work, we're going to try it's going to probably impact the ability to get off the blocks better. Right. And if you're seeing these exercises programmed then they're connecting it to something in the water. Right. And then they, they ultimately, I think get a little bit more buy-in from that. So that's really important that they see that, you know, and I preach this from the time that they step onto campus as a recruit, um, all the way through is that my main goal is for you to swim fast. It's, yeah. You know, and, and we're about performance. We're not just strength and conditioning. We're about performance. So yeah. for us, it's assessment and understanding from a swimming standpoint, what are the things that are going to be the biggest limiters to your performance, identifying those, and then outside the pool, what can we do to improve that? Strength is going to be a big component for a lot of people, improving reaction time, improving mobility, but some to a certain, a different degree than others. Right. So understanding that, uh, you know, we're trying to be objective and assess what's going to impact your performance in the water and not just try to get you to bench press 300 pounds yeah. is going to hopefully increase their buy-in and understand the value of, Hey, this guy's got my best interest as a swimmer at heart. Right. No, I, I liked how you brought up connecting exercises to points of swimming, because I know, you know, we could have a whole nother conversation about sport specific movement. And, you know, that word, that phrase gets thrown around so much. But I think what is missed from that is 
athletes need to know the connection of an exercise to their sport, even if it's not truly like, you know, sport specific, it's not the same movement or whatever. There still is that value in connecting it to portions of a stroke or, you know, talk about late race, race fatigue, you know, we're working on that late race fatigue, things like that, that they can really, like you said, find that value in. Yeah. There's no question. I think it all comes down to just trying to make sure that they understand that this is about improving their swimming performance. Yeah. Um, and, and really taking, taking each individual where they're at and progressing them intelligently at the rate that they're capable of. Yeah. You know, that's another thing that I try to preach to all the recruits understand that, Hey, we understand that you're not coming in probably with a lot of background in dryland. You're going to get exposed to a whole new world. When yeah. You're <laughs> We don't need to start you, you know, at, at step seven out of 10, we're going to start you at step one and it's going to make sure you can handle your body weight and all those simple things, right. you know, and then, and then we progress you at the rate that which you're capable of progressing. So, um, you know, making sure that we're putting long-term athletic development, uh, as, as an injury, uh, reduction, um, and all those things, number one, right. Uh, and to make sure that we're not just, you know, coming in and treating everybody the same. So you bring up a good point. Say if you have a freshman come in and, you know, that freshman's hungry to get going, you know, they're, they're amped up, they're ready to roll, but they don't have the background. So, you know, we've talked about stimulating a competitive environment, but how do you control that competitive environment? So someone does not take an exercise too far or push a little harder than they probably should at this time, because I think that's equally as important as getting that competitive environment going. Sure. Um, you, well, we, you've got to be well coached and that's, you know, it's yeah. always a challenge. Um, we've, we've gone to great lengths to try to, uh, increase, uh, the, the specificity of our training groups and, and break apart the, the lifting sessions within a day so that there's not one group of 60 in right. at, at once. Um, we have really good qualified grad assistants and professional interns that help monitor everything. Um, but it's about being uh, competitive and, um, and intense and, and all of that stuff in, in the right situation. Yeah. So there's certain things that are a little bit more a little safer, more fail proof that you can go a hundred percent on a jumping jack or uh, a jump rope or, you know, a hundred yard run or something like that, that probably is a little safer than loading up a back squat or, you know, trying to do something a little bit more technical. So when we're in the weight room and we're really starting them out, if they don't have the background, number one, you're going to do a full movement assessment. Then you're going to do at least four sessions for over the first two weeks, two each of the first uh, two each week for the first two weeks, where you are just doing our foundation program, and it's okay. for us, even if your assessment looks great, uh, is for us to get to know you and how well you're moving, teach you the terminology, all of that stuff, and then we have you know a checklist that we you know need to make sure that they're capable and ready to go. Yeah, the bare minimum, you're getting two weeks, four sessions of the foundation program. And then at that point, we decide uh, whether you're ready to progress into the full workout or if you're going to spend another week in there or two weeks um, so that we're controlling the things that maybe have the higher injury risk potential or more technical, higher skill movements. And then when we're doing dryland work and we're doing burpees or something, it's yeah, you know, you're like, okay, we can push that maybe a little bit more. Right. 
Awesome. Now, and then the last question I have for you is, is talking about program development and developing that, you know, mindset and ascent. So say you have a coach, you know, a lot of these coaches that will be listening to this might not have the resources of a strength staff or, you know, even a weight room to go and work with their athletes. But how do you recommend they start creating that culture of understanding of the importance of dry land, number one, and then taking it a step further to a competitive environment that is going to help swim performance? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I think from maybe a club's coach standpoint with younger kids, uh, it's on them, I guess, to really try to educate themselves yeah. as much as they possibly can. If they're going to have, if they're going to try to implement dry land work um, with kids, I think less is more. Yeah. And it's really about teaching them proper movement mechanics. And so as a, as a club coach, you've, you should probably have the ability to teach just a proper body weight squat. What a, what a hip hinge looks like, uh, how to do a good push up, be able to modify a push up, go off an incline bench if you need to. Right. The basic movement skills, it's not about high volume. It's not about doing a lot of sit-ups, holding a perfect plank position, a bridge, front, back, side, yeah. things. Um, just adding volume with body weight is going to be so much more beneficial um, than, than trying to advance them into some tech, you know, super fancy thing they saw on YouTube. Right. You know, and everybody's putting, and that's kind of the danger, is everybody's putting out these hype videos on on YouTube and you see all the fun kind of funky stuff that looks really unique and they want to try that because they saw one of our guys climbing a rope up to the seven meter diving, you know? Right. So, um, so it's about keeping it simple and really teaching proper movement mechanics. I think uh, there's plenty of resources out there to kind of get some education on that. But, um, but, but just getting it, you know, the early specialization is a problem and, uh, yeah. you know, just being able to, um, do, do different, uh, you know, throw a Frisbee and just, you know, being yeah. able to basic, uh, um, yeah, have fun and mix it up and, and, and do different sports is really important too. Yeah. I like how you said about the hype videos. I feel, you know, people don't realize that that's probably the 10% or even the 5% of the workout or the total body of work. And then, you know, also general athleticism, I think, is hugely underestimated in swimming. The amount of swimmers that can't throw a ball or throw a frisbee, like you said, or catch a ball and run and jump and things like that is pretty high because they're so water-based, you know, throughout their training. Landing mechanics, jumping mechanics, skipping, you know, bounding, just the basic, yeah, yeah. coordination, um, coordinate the hand and the, and the, leg, uh, the arms and the legs together. Um, is is very undervalued and we see a lot of, of a lot of people that you know they yeah they're fit and they're strong but um you challenge their coordination and their uh timing and their rhythm and oh, yeah it's all off and i think that there's value to improving some of those things have you joined the Surge Strength Academy yet? It's now free to enroll in the Surge Strength Academy and raise your Dryland IQ. Visit surge-strength.com to learn more and enroll today. That's surge-strength.com to enroll in the Surge Strength Academy. The goal of Surge Strength is simple. Build better athletes to generate faster swimmers.